Welcome back to season three of the Sex Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen DeWitt, and this season, we're going to be doing a deep dive on what it takes to remove the taboo that's been there for too long. We're going to strive to normalize these conversations and seek out those places where these conversations can be so helpful and transformative. We're going to rethink kink and everything that comes along with it. Let's go. Welcome back to this week's edition of Sex Life Unleashed, wherever you are in the world, however you're listening to this, whoever is in your life, I hope you're having an amazing sex life. And if you're not, you're on the right place. And I'm here to support you. If you want to work one-on-one, reach out to me. If you want to bring me in as a keynote speaker to a conference or convention in your world, please let me know. There's many, many magical topics that we can talk about that are applicable to you. You can find all the ways to reach out to me in the show notes. We are covering a ton of different topics from how do you share your sexual preferences with someone and what does it actually mean to have quote-unquote sex and are traps gay and so much more. So let's start with our first question. Does sexual activity and in brackets kissing, cuddling, making out, petting, fondly touching with a person determine that they are one sexual partner? As in, are they still one sexual partner if one has only done sexual activities like outer course, but not actually intercourse? Or is the definition of sexual partner rely on the holy grail of all penetrative activities, oral, anal, vaginal only? Question mark. Really great question. Often in sex, we get caught up in labels and what you know we think it should be or the way society has labeled things in the past and be like, oh my God, I need to fit into this thing because if I don't, then that doesn't mean I'm this or vice versa, you know, trying to not fit in. So you use a label or a title there. And the question that I always come down to is what actually empowers you? Because sometimes labels and titles are really important for people to identify with groups, to feel like power, to be feel connected and have a shared vision or a shared mission. Those could be very, very important for you. But when it comes to sex, for me, I really encourage you to think about what has you be empowered and lit up. And the second question that I invite you to think about is like, why are you asking this question? Like, where does that come from? Like, who do you have to prove this to? Or who do you have to talk to to prove like, this person is a sexual partner, this person isn't a sexual partner, right? Because it could be both, it could be neither, it could be different. And the person that I invite you to talk to is the person that you are doing the kissing, the cuddling, the making out, the petting, fondling, and touching, right? The only thing that matters is what's going on between you and your partner, rather than thinking about, oh, what what other people are going to say. Me personally, myself, listen, I'm always about diversifying what sex looks like. It doesn't have to look like the P and the B or the P and the A or the P and the M. It can look like anything. And I think if, you know, you're enjoying things, there's sexual energy between you, you are being sexual with that person. And then you talk to that person and be like, hey, like, how do you want to define this? Or are we sexual partners? Whatever that looks like for you too, that's what you say. The two of you are like, yeah, we're sexual partners or we're hooking up or we're whatever that that is for you. That's between the two of you. And, you know, not be overly concerned about like that label of like, oh, well, is it 
are the are the sex police going to come and like take the handcuffs off the wall and be like you are now under arrest because you said you were sexual with this person or you had sex with this person or they're your sexual partner and we found you guilty and wrong because you're not that because you didn't fit fit into this like strict definition of what other people may think or may say what sex is you know when we look at diversifying sex in life, there may be times where your genitals are not in service for very various reasons. And being able to look at, hey, how can we enjoy sex? How can we enjoy pleasure? What do orgasms or lack of orgasms look like or mean to us? Thinking about that ahead of time and thinking about that now, I promise you will help you out in the future. Because I often talk to people you know, clients will reach out and be like, oh my God, this is what's going on. I need to work through this. I need to, you know, make this happen. And it's all about like taking a step back and being like, what is the underlying interest or connection for you having sex with someone, right? It could be conveying love. It could be connection. It could be intimacy. It could be pleasure. It could be, you know, there's lots of different reasons why people have sex. Like there's makeup sex or angry sex, right? There's all those other kind of things. So when we get to what's underneath and why we have sex or why we have the need for sex, the how of it or what it actually looks like can be very, very different. So if it's about connecting, feeling good, experiencing pleasure with someone you're hooking up with, great. And what does that look like if you know our genitals are not included in the equation? Often people don't think about it, but it is something that is really helpful because again, at some point in your life, your genitals are not going to be in service or in service the way that you want them to be. So thinking about that now can be really helpful. So really great question. Next question. All right. This is the question that I did ask someone about. So how can one share their preference is a person born male without insulting others? I asked this to another sex educator and was insulted and called transphobic and ignorant. There's a lot of levels to this. So first of all, I apologize that this said sex educator insulted you and called you those things. I'm not speaking for all sex educators, but, you know, if someone is asking a question or curious or mis maybe misunderstands things on any level, I always seek to um, help that person understand or maybe ask some questions of where they're coming from. But it's never about shaming and calling people names and insulting people. That does nothing as far as building connection or educating someone. Then that's my personal point of view. So moving on to your question, how can one share their preference as a person born male without insulting others? So first of all, you are always going to insult someone. I promise you. Now, no matter how hard you try to be politically correct, use the right terminology, be as educated as you can on a subject, someone is going to take something the wrong way. Someone is going to be offended. Listen, it's part of my life as a sexologist, as a speaker. You know, I go do keynotes and I'm on stage and I go in knowing that a third of the people don't like me. A third of the people like me and they're raving fans. And then it's my job for the middle third to bring them onto my side. So afterwards, when I speak, I know there's at least a few people, if not more, that I upset, I offended, I, you know, ruffled their feathers. And if you're not ruffling people's feathers, you're not making a difference. And that's from a speaker point of view. But I get as a personal thing of like, hey, 
I want to be open about like my preference and who I'm attracted to, but I don't want to offend other people. So again, I just invite you to be like, you're going to offend people no matter what you do. And there's a difference between sharing your attraction and what you desire in a partner, which I think is perfectly aligned to be like, I want someone born male. So someone who owns a penis. Cool. That's what works for you. That's awesome. And no one should ever tell you otherwise that that's bad, wrong, or indifferent. Now, being transphobic is very different from that, right? That's having hatred or malice towards people who are trans. That's very different. You are able to and should be able to express to people the type of person that you're attracted to. It could be someone with a different hair color, could be someone with a different skin color, could be someone with a different socioeconomic status. They make more money or less money than you, whatever it is, it's your attraction. Now, all of this kind of boils down to like power dynamics and what is attracted to you and what isn't attractive for you, but that's unique to you. And, it, you know, I, I was thinking about playing this out. So if you were like, well, if I don't say this because I don't want to offend people, then like if we take that to the nth degree and like look at what happens and then you're with someone who you're not attracted to, like that's terrible for you and for them. So I think it's I think it's stepping into just owning who you're attracted to, knowing that you're going to offend someone along the way. That's just how it's going to go. But I think it's important for you to be able to distinguish uh, the person or the type of people that you're attracted to, communicate that effectively, and not be transphobic or homophobic or any kind of phobic, just because this is your preference and these are the type of people that you're attracted to. So that's it. And I did run this question by a friend of mine who's married to a trans person. Because I was like, is there something in my blind spot? Because listen, I walk in the world looking like this with all the privilege and all the different things that I come with. So I'm like, is there something in my blind spot? So I ran this by a friend of mine who's married to trans person. They're like, no, that's like ridiculous. You know, shaming someone or calling someone transphobic because they have a preference for someone who was born with a penis and has a penis is their right and is important to be able to articulate that. So they don't get in situations where you know, people, they're connecting with people that aren't a match for them. All right. Uh, so that's the end of that question. Great question. Another question that I got was, how can I explore new kinks I have while being single and without a sexual partner currently? This was a good, this one made me think. I was like, I looked at this like five minutes ago and I was like, oh, maybe I should have looked at this earlier. How can I explore new kinks I have while being single and without a sexual partner currently? So there's a couple ways. Depending on the kink and depending on your comfort level, there's different ways to kind of get connected with that and explore that and learn about yourself and what you really like and what turns you on about that kink. So that could look like a number of things. It could look like exploring porn checking things out that way. That maybe is how you found it. It could be reading stories or erotica written about that particular kink, right? So listen, when I read fiction, I get transported to a different place. You know, I get to be characters, interact with characters that I don't normally as like Stephen DeWitt right here, right now. 
And so reading erotica can take you to that place and like for you to a place where you're enjoying those kinks. Another thing that I think could be helpful is if you were a, a voyeur and you enjoy watching that is you can go on FetLife. So FetLife.com. It's kind of like Facebook for kinky people and find people who are into that kink and maybe build some sort of relationship where you can watch that person engage in that kink and build a relationship that way, which doesn't have to actually physically look like you interacting with that person or those people who are partaking in that particular kink. Now, as in anything, when you are building relationships and specifically kink relationships, you want to be really clear on boundaries. You want to make sure that there's safe words, there's triggers that are understood, all that realm of it that you can go and explore things that way. And then you may want to think about if you don't have a sexual partner currently and you want to have a sexual partner currently who enjoys those kinks, how do you actually have that conversation with that potential partner to make sure that they're aligned with the kink that you want to explore? So that's a question that I have back to you. <laughs> this is a great one. Is there such a thing as being too horny? I could have sex every day. Is that a problem? That's a question that you need to ask yourself. I mean, off the top of my head, I would say no. If it works for you, if it's not interfering in your work life, your school life, your social life, your family life, your, you know, your personal time, it's not interfering with your finances. Cool. And we always get caught up in the numbers of sex of like, oh, like who says it's too long or too much or too many? too many partners, you're having sex for too long, you don't have enough orgasms, you get caught up in the numbers. Who cares? If it works for you, if it works for your partner or your partners, it's not a problem. You know, and I, I also encourage you to, you know, be responsible for who you share that with, right? Because someone would be like, oh my God, you have sex every day and you have sex with, you know, you make your partner have sex with you every day. Like, oh my God, I can never do that with my partner. And oh my God, you're such a slut, right? And all a slut is, is someone who has more sex than you, or a slut is someone who has more creative kinky sex than you, right? So often people will adopt that term as one of, you know, an honor to be called that and, and reclaim that from the derogatory origins that it came from. But no, it's not a problem off the top of my head. So yeah, enjoy that. Enjoy wanting sex, enjoying sex every day, and be open to the fact that that throughout your life could evolve, could change, right? And maybe it's, you want to have sex twice a day. I'm not saying it has to go the other direction, but as human beings, we evolve sexually. So there are going to be times in your life where you are feeling like supercharged, super sexual, super horny. You're like, let's go. And there's other times where you're going through a low period or a stressful period, or maybe a depressive period in your life. And you're not going to want that. And that's okay too. We're human beings. We're not sex robots and we have only one setting. We have lots of different settings that allow us to honor where we're at and, you know, connect with the people in our lives that we want to in the way we want to at the time we want to. So I'll just offer that to you. This question, I don't know quite how to answer it. So that's why I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to take this one on. Are traps gay? So when I'm thinking about traps, I'm thinking about like the muscles, trapezius muscles. And so I hope this is what that, this person meant. And I'm going to answer this many different ways because I really don't know how you meant to ask that question or the context or where it was coming from. 
So are traps gay? I'm going to say no. Any muscle part or body part does not have an orientation. It's just part of your body. Your orientation is something that is yours, that is independent of your physicality or any particular muscle group or overdevelopment of that muscle. So I was thinking, it was like, how else could that be asked? It's like, maybe if, you know, there's women who are very muscular and, and have traps. So maybe that's where that question was coming from. But again, muscular people, that has nothing to do with who they're attracted to or who they like to have sex with. It's just a body part. There is this narrative that you may have heard about like, oh, like muscular women, oh, they're manly or oh, they're gay because they want to look like men and all that other kind of stuff. That's all garbage. The only way that you can know if someone is gay is by having a conversation with them and a respectful one. You're not going to go up to like some like jacked woman at the gym and be like, yo, you gay? Like, no, don't be a dick. That is one of my mentors. How's that saying is like, just don't be a dick. And like, life will be easier. Like come from a place of curiosity, come from a place of interest, of intrigue, of, of building a relationship with someone, whatever that relationship looks like. It doesn't have to be a sexual one, but just come as a, as a human being. And, uh, and yeah, don't be a dick. You're okay. So traps, not gay. Okay. Boop, 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 boop. Is self-pleasure for a woman bad? Hail to the no. Self-pleasure for anyone, regardless of their gender or their gender identity, is good for many, many different reasons. There's like health benefits of exploring uh, yourself sexually. There is just learning what you actually like. So then you can show or share with someone when you are connecting with that person. Now, this person said, uh, particularly for a woman, assuming that maybe for a man, it's not. And, you know, maybe, oh man, if we go back like 10, 20 years, it was more acceptable for guys to like joke around about like masturbating and like jerking off and like that kind of thing. And now I think it's just like, no, we all do it. Or I wish I didn't say we all do it, but the majority of us do it. And it's a healthy thing to do. There's nothing bad. It doesn't do any kind of damage. It doesn't like, so one thing that I will, as far as if you're a vulva and a clit owner, often I get the question of like, oh my God, I use my... Zex, ZX45 2000 vibrator. And I've been using that every single day for like two years. And now I have a partner and I can't orgasm because I've conditioned myself to responding to the stimulation that the ZX45 2000 provides me. What the F do I do? Did I burn my clit out? Did I like cause issues? Did I like, am I ever going to be the same? Like, no, 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 no. You're cool. All it is, there's no like nerve nerve damage or permanent damage, but your body has been become accustomed to stimulation. So there's neural pathways in your brain that have been carved for the last two years because that's what you've done. And so there are simple ways for you to be able to recalibrate your levels of arousal that are more aligned with having a partner that you physically interact with. And that could look like you know, involving your vibrator with you while you are with that partner. It can look like when you are exploring by yourself in solo sex, you alternate between using your vibrator and your hand and then longer periods of time of using your hand and less of your vibrator. So you're just like reconditioning your body to, to respond to physical touch rather than vibrational touch from a vibrator. Yeah. And then bring that into the, bring that into the bedroom and, and use that on and off again with your partner. 
So there's no, yeah, there's no worry for self-pleasure if you're a woman. So hope that made sense to you. And this is going to be the last question that I have for us today. Is it normal to be unable to orgasm solo? And again, I'm going to guess that you are able to orgasm when you're with a partner. So is it normal to be unable to orgasm solo? In my realm, as a sexologist, there is no normal, right? Because what if I told you, yes, it is normal. Does that make a difference for you? Like, does that enable you to orgasm more? Or if I told you it's abnormal, does that make a difference for you? Does that have, does that provide you access to orgasming? Which I think is underneath this question. So there is no normal when it comes to sex. It's only what's going on for you. So it is normal for you as an individual to not orgasm when you're by yourself. Cool. Now the question is, do you want to do something about that? Do you want to orgasm when you're by yourself? I'm going to guess that the answer would be yes. And so what I would offer you to look at is if you are able to orgasm when you're with a partner and you're not or able to orgasm when you're by yourself, why is that? Like, what is different? And often when I'm talking to people who have what's called primary, or there's two types of difficulties with, with orgasm. One is primary anorgasmia, which is you never orgasm. Or secondary anorgasmia is you orgasm sometimes in some situations and not in others. So that's what it is. But I don't want to get like overly technical and diagnose anything as I'm you know, sharing this information from a single question from you, but is thinking about, okay, so what's, what's different when I'm by myself than when I'm with a partner. And the question could, you could look at it different ways. What's happening physically with my body. That's different when I'm by myself versus when I'm with a partner and what's happening in my head when I'm by myself and when I'm with my partner. So there could be a situation where when you by yourself, you were taught that that's bad, that's wrong. You were shamed. You know, you were caught touching yourself when you were like a kid, like just being a kid and kind of exploring and learning about your body. And somebody caught you and yelled at you and told you it was dirty and bad and wrong. So there's a mental block. So that's what's going on in your head. You're like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this or I can't do this or it's dirty or it's bad. But when I'm with a partner, they love it and it's okay because that's what, you know, I was told to do or as told what, what was right is when you're with a partner and you're monogamous and you love them or whatever relationship structure you were taught was okay. Or however you feel about when you are with that partner, it's like, oh, okay, now I can allow myself to experience this. Now I can allow myself to explore this pleasure. So again, normal is, is not a term in sex. It's just like, what's going on for you? So yeah, it's normal for you. And what do you want to do about it? So that's a question that I have back for you. And that brings this episode to an end. We'll see you back here in two weeks. I hope you learned something. I always learn when I get to answer questions and I have to turn my brain to like thinking about them and all the different scenarios that are there. So I hope you found value in today's episode. Again, if you'd like to work one-on-one with me, let me know check out the show notes below and subscribe, share this with your friends. And if you do have questions that you want answered, click the link in the show notes, submit your questions anonymously, and I will answer them 
in another episode of Sex Life Unleashed. Until we see each other again, remember, the more we understand about ourselves and each other, the less we have to fear, the more love is here. So here's to happy days and living a sex life unleashed.